Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be gracious to us this morning and that you would open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. And Father, we pray this morning for the gospel that it would come not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want you to know that this is a sermon for you. I want you to know that this is a sermon for you because it is a sermon about the love of Jesus. Kids, there's always so many of you here on Sundays and we're thankful that you're with us uh, in this service. This sermon is for you. Perhaps you're one of our uptown neighbors, the sermon is for you. Maybe you're a first-time visitor with us here this morning at Grace, and I want to say again, this sermon is for you. Or maybe you're a long-time member, and even a mature saint. Good news, this sermon is for you. As a matter of fact, this sermon is for anyone who would listen. So kids, instead of coloring today or taking a nap in mom's lap, let me tell you about an unusual love story. Think of your favorite stories or favorite movies. Try to maybe put some of those in your mind now that you had as a child or if you're a kid that's with us this morning, one of your favorite stories. And think of... All the villains that you know, the bad guys, the Darth Vaders, or Sauron in Lord of the Rings, or maybe the White Witch in Narnia. Perhaps for you it's just the Big Bad Wolf, or Captain Hook, or Maleficent, or Shere Khan, or Scar. You know the stories that I'm talking about. Maybe even Sid the next door neighbor in Toy Story who mangles all the toys. Or maybe for you old Mario fans, it may be Bowser. Can you imagine in each of those stories if the character that we know is villains was extended an unusual kind of love. Can you imagine in each of those stories if someone had come along not to defeat the evil enemy, but to save them? What if I told you that the way that this character in this unusual love story would save the bad guys was by dying for them? Would you say 
That it would be an unusual story? A story where someone dies for the villain? Would you say that it would be an unusual kind of love? Well, that's exactly what we find promised in God's Word. And here's the crazy thing. In all your favorite stories, the Bible teaches us that you're more like the villain than the hero. See, often we like to come alongside the hero and we can imagine ourselves as the good guy. But the reality is, we have more in common with the bad guys than we do the good guys in our favorite stories. But there is good news to what I'm saying. There is one who loves us despite all our sinful ways. And I'm not going to hold it off to the end. There's no secret. His name is Jesus. Today I want us to look at how the prophet Jeremiah tells us this story as it really happens. A true story. See, Jeremiah lived in a day where people had rebelled against God. And as a result, those people found themselves under the judgment of God. The just and righteous judgment of God. But in this story that Jeremiah tells, the story gets worse before it gets better. Not only were they under the judgment of God, but the judgment was about to get worse. In fact, that is where Jeremiah comes into the picture. Jeremiah is called by God to warn the people of the coming judgment. And he does just that. Listen to some of the bad news that Jeremiah delivers to these people. You don't have to turn, but Jeremiah chapter 21 verse 9 says this. This is what he says to these people who have rebelled against God. He who stays in this, shit, in this city shall die by the sword by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live and shall have his life as a prize of war. That's what Jeremiah tells to these people. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but in Jeremiah chapter 21, verse 9, there's two choices. You can stay in the city and die, or you can be captured and become a slave. Those are your two options. Well, the story does play out, and some do die in the city, and the survivors are captured and begin to live their lives as slaves. If we move forward in Jeremiah's prophecy, into Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, as we get near chapter 31, verse 3, it says this about those people who had for generations now lived in slavery. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 8 says, It shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break His yoke from off of their neck and will tear off their bonds, and strangers will no longer make them their slaves. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. See, Jeremiah speaks of this yoke of slavery on this people. And he says it must be broken. Like the people in Jeremiah's day who inherited the yoke of slavery, listen to me, we too 
have inherited a yoke of slavery. We have inherited the strange bonds of sin's power over our lives. And though we were not created to be a slave to sin, we find ourselves trapped in the shackles of sin's grip. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, tells us about this slavery. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And so we're born into this slavery. Because of Adam's sin, we're born into the slavery of sin. And we inherit this yoke of slavery. But I want you to see, Jeremiah presses on. And he paints an even bleaker picture than just being born into or inheriting a yoke of slavery. Look what he says in verses 12-15 through of Jeremiah chapter 30. Not only do we have the inherited yoke of slavery, but we have the incurable wound of sin. Verse 12, For thus says the Lord, your wound is incurable. And your injury is serious. There is no one to plead your cause. No healing for your sore. No recovery for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy. With the punishment of a cruel one. Because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous. Why do you cry out over your injury? Your pain is incurable. Because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous, I have done these things to you. Did you hear the language that God gave Jeremiah to speak to the people of his day? You've been wounded and your injury is serious. There is no one to defend you. No one will heal your wounds. You've been forgotten. The punishment is cruel. Your iniquity is great. And the pain is incurable. Listen, dear friends. Listen, kids. Neighbors. Visitors. Members. This isn't just true of the people of Jeremiah's day. Listen to me. It's true of the people in our day. It's true of us. You have an an incurable wound called sin. And it is more serious than you've ever supposed. It is here that we must insert ourselves into this story where we find the wicked people are desperate and in need. They've heard the prophecy of Jeremiah. And it is here that we begin to understand the need for an unusual kind of love to intervene. Because of the inherited yoke of slavery and because of the incurable wound of sin that we possess, we, like the people of Jeremiah's day, need the unusual love of Jesus. And so we come to Jeremiah chapter 31 and we find a verse like verse 3. And this is what it says. The Lord appeared to him from afar. The Lord appeared to him from afar. Though we might be like the villains of our favorite stories, 
And though we might be under the yoke of slavery, and we may have the incurable wound of sin, I want you to see something that takes place in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. Something appears that changes everything. Something appears that, that changes everything. The first thing that I want us to see today very clearly in God's Word is the appearance of Jesus' love. Do you see how in the height of their own sin and fear of the judgment of God, He appears to them. Listen to me. Jesus appears. Jesus comes to us. Titus 3.3 shows us how this happens. For we also once were foolish ourselves, it sounds a lot like the people in Jeremiah's day, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But what's the verse say next? But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, Jesus shows up. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. Jesus lovingly and mercifully appears to us in the midst of the most helpless time that we could possibly imagine. God's judgment awaits us. And we have around our neck this yoke of slavery. And we've been wounded with the incurable wound of sin. We're helpless. We're helpless. We have no hope. And Christ comes. And He saves us by His love. Do you see your great sin? Do we see our great need for Christ's appearance? Are you desperate for the appearing of Christ in your life? Perhaps you're with us today and you know that what Jeremiah describes is true of you. You know you need Christ to intervene. Listen to me. Then cry out to Him today. Cry out to Him without hesitation. But I want us to see that we not only see the appearance of Jesus' love, but we also must have confidence that this love that Christ possesses is for us. Jeremiah 31.3, the next phrase. He says, I have loved you. I have loved you. God says so plainly to us sinners that He has loved us. It is factual. It's real. It's true. It's not limited to certain individuals. It is for all who will repent of their sins and turn to Him. Jesus loves you. We just sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Here we are in God's Word 
sing the truth of the lyrics that we sang. So let me ask, do you know? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you really know that? Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you have the knowledge that Jesus loves you? God's Word says in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And there's salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given to men by which we must be saved. There's only one. And you must know this Jesus. But not just about Him. It is important that we have knowledge of Jesus. And that we have knowledge that Jesus loves us. But listen to me. We must know in a believing way that Jesus loves us. So that when we see God say to us, I have loved you, that we embrace that. That we believe that. And that we know that to be true in our hearts. Yes, Jesus' love has appeared to us. And yes, we must know that Jesus loves us. But I want you to see in the text really the extent and power of His love. It's so important what is written here. I have loved you, listen to what it says, with an everlasting love. This is no small or petty love. The love with which Jesus loves us is wrapped up in the very nature of who He is. Jesus is perfect, and He's perfect in love, and therefore, His love for us is perfect. For this love is like Himself, sovereign, unchangeable, everlasting. God never changes moods toward us or cools off in His affections for us. He does love us right now. And that love will never cease or fail for all eternity. Our connection to God through the love of Christ is owing entirely to Him. The whole, the entirety of our salvation from first to last is purely the love and grace of God. And it's seen so clearly. It's made plain to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this love, the extent of this love, the the magnitude of Jesus' love for us knows no bounds. It's infinite. And listen to this. Because God's the one that bestowed it on us, it can't be removed. It can't be taken away. We can't be separated from this love. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8 says. Will tribulation... Seriously, any tribulation, can any tribulation separate us from the love of God? Not according to God's Word. Or distress? What distress do you have in life that can separate you from the love of God? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? None. None of those can separate us from the love of God. Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, 
Death can't separate us from the love of God. Nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present. Nothing present in your life right now can separate you from the love of God. Nor things to come. Are you afraid of the future? You shouldn't be. Because the love of God is there waiting for you. Nor powers. No power. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Listen to this. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to know that love? That you can't be separated from God? It's in Christ. Look at Christ. See Him. The love of God is steadfast. And the bedrock of that steadfast love is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The magnitude of God's love is infinite and it's eternal. And He has, listen to me, loved us with that everlasting love. But I want you to see something that surpasses all this. All the knowledge that you can have of Christ and His love for us. And knowing the power and the infiniteness. Is that a word? Infiniteness? Infinitude of God's love for us. Even knowing those is surpassed by something even greater. Though the love of Christ is unshakable, though it's eternal, though it is omnipotent, I want you to see the warmth and tenderness of His love. And the irresistible attraction that Christ has on us. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 33, excuse me, 31, verse 3. The remainder of the verse. Therefore, I have drawn you. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. See, God's Word tells us that we are drawn to Him by His love. With loving kindness. Loving kindness is God's covenant love. He's made a covenant to us. If we just skip back two verses, we see the hint of that. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 1. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. He's made a promise to us. He promises to be our God. That we would be His people. From God's own loving kindness, He will attract our hearts to Himself. It is God's love for us, not our love for Him, that ensures that we will be eternally secure. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Listen to me. It is true that what you know about the love of Jesus that we find in God's Word, it's true. And the power and the extent of His love we can't comprehend, but listen to me. We can be wooed by the love of God in a very real and connecting way. But the way He woos us is by demonstrating the extent of His love through His life, death, 
and resurrection. Do we want to know the love of God? Do you really want to know the love of God? Do you really want to know it? So that you can say, I've experienced this. I've tasted this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love. That's not our love. That's being rooted and grounded in God's love in Ephesians chapter 3. That if we're rooted and grounded in God's love, we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, listen to what it says, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Paul prays something very important for us concerning the love of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 3. He didn't desire that we know about the love of Jesus, but he desired that we would taste it. That we would have experiential knowledge. That Christ's love for us would shape the foundations of our lives. And so long as that we keep, that we keep the love of Jesus at a distance as just some good story in the Bible... We'll miss the true understanding and the effects of Jesus' love for us. Listen to me. Quit being so religious with the love of Jesus. And relate to Him. Know Him. We must know Jesus. Tender Jesus. How tender is the love of Christ? How tender the man who would leave his high and heavenly position and come down to earth. The Creator would descend down to live among His own creation. How tender is Jesus who would submit to His earthly father and mother, growing in wisdom and stature. How compassionate is this Jesus who would look upon mankind and see that they're like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't stay at a distance from us. He came from afar to us with His love so that we would know it. And that we would know not only His love, but that it's everlasting. And not only that it's everlasting... that it's real and it can be experiential. See, Jesus sees us like all these accounts that we find in the New Testament. These shepherdless people. Jesus would serve the poor. No, I mean the poor. Like those oppressed. Like that man you see sitting on the corner of the block. Dressed in dirty clothes, talking to himself. And he reached out to the sick. He gave sight to the blind. Strength to the lame. Speech to the mute. Hearing to the deaf, listen to this. He would touch the contagious, filthy hands 
and bodies of the lepers. Google leprosy sometime and look at the images that pop up. And those are the people that Jesus reached out to. He interacted with the refuse of the world. Oh, how sweet is our Jesus who knows the oppressed heart of every man. He doesn't just know the numbers on your head. He's not just full of this super knowledge. But listen to me. He knows your heart. For assuredly, He does not give help to angels, but He gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, He had to be made like His brethren in all things so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since He Himself was tempted in that which He has suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. What loving kindness we find in Jesus who knows our condition well. Listen to me. Nobody's condition in this room has escaped the mind of Christ. He knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your circumstances. He knows your history. He knows your background. He knows your temptations. He knows your anxieties. He knows your struggles. He knows your suffering. And listen to this. He cares for you deeply. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Do you see the tenderness of Christ as He sweated drops of blood in Gethsemane? Do you see how tender is our sweet Jesus as He prays in anguish for the strength to endure the cross? What tender love we find in Christ who suffered the ridicule of men for whom He would endure the shame of the cross. Do you see that, Jesus? Oh, dear saints, do you see the gentle affection of Jesus who would take all our sins upon His shoulders? My sin that I committed just yesterday. All your sin. Tender, loving Jesus. Willingly and knowingly took that and put it on His shoulders so that when He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the blood that begins to drip out is in anguish. Because He knows what He's about to bear. And in love, He bears it anyway. What overwhelming love we know in Jesus. The One who paid the high price for our wickedness. Listen to me. Absorbing the full wrath of His own Father. We often consider the love of the Father. We think about how God had to give up His only begotten Son, Jesus. Right? But have you considered that Christ Jesus and His love for us, that He would willingly be crushed for our sins, 
by his father, the one whom he enjoyed sweet, eternal communion with. See, I find it amazing that God, the father, would give up his only son, but I find it even more amazing, or equally as amazing, that Jesus would be willing to be crushed by his own dad. For our sins. How warm is the love of one who would utter, It is finished. It is finished. And breathe his last for sinful man. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But God, God demonstrates His love for us. His love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How can we not weep with a sense of brokenness and all that Jesus would love us like this. The great attraction to God is not His omnipotent power, but rather His saving love. Are you attracted to Jesus? Because of the love of Jesus? If you are not absolutely, completely, totally in love with Christ, then you have not been affected by His love. Will there be days when our affections wane? Yes. Are we prone to wander? Yes. But the true saint can never wander far. Nor can he wane in affection for long. Because all it takes is one little reminder of Jesus in love on the cross, on our behalf, earning for us our salvation. The attraction of Jesus' love is irresistible to those who have truly tasted of its indescribable sweetness. And when we have tasted of the sweet, tender, compassionate love of Jesus, we will spend the remainder of our days in an expression of gratitude. See, we can have, we can see our need for Jesus' love. We can see His appearance. We can know His love. But when we taste the attraction of Jesus' love by faith, Our lives are radically changed. Our lives are radically changed. We're no longer our own. Not only have we been freed from that yoke of slavery that was wrapped around our neck, and not only was that incurable, 
Incurable means it can't be cured, but somehow it's cured. That's because God is in the business of doing the impossible. That incurable wound of sin is is cured by Jesus Christ. And when we know Him by faith that way, our lives are never the same. Our lives are lived out in expression of Jesus' love. Jesus' love compels us to worship Him. If we have truly been affected by His love, we will be worshipers of Jesus Christ. Remember the wicked people of Jeremiah's day? Listen to what God commands of them after He promises to be their God and that they will be His people. Listen to what God commands of them after saying that He will send Jesus as a demonstration of His everlasting covenant of love. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 7. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob. And shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. It's praise. It's praise that comes out of the great work that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. And God says unashamedly, worship me. Listen to me. If you don't see Jesus as worthy of your worship, then you don't see Jesus. Our expression of Jesus' love toward us should compel us to worship. But it should also, listen to this, compel us to rest. Listen, kids. Neighbors, visitors, saints. Just as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, I have also loved you. And then listen to what He says. Abide in my love. Rest. Rest in my love. Rest in my love. But I want you to see there's a third thing that I think comes in our expression of knowing the love of Christ. And it's this. The love of Christ compels us not only to worship Him and to rest in His love, but the love of Christ compels us to love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And we love one another because He first loved us. Well, let me conclude by saying this. My guess is that there are some among us who maybe have lived their life and have heard of Jesus and perhaps have formulated in their minds who Jesus is and what He's about. Perhaps you've even tried the whole religion thing. And to date, you've wondered if you've done enough good things to get you by. Or if you've known God well enough that you would be saved. And perhaps you've lived in dread of the unknown. And as you've contemplated the things of God, you've feared that hell may be reserved for you. I simply want to remind you again of the tender love of Jesus. 
who bid you to come to the cross where He was crucified to pay the price for your sins and know His love. Know His love. He will have you. Jesus loves repentant sinners like me and you. Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would be gracious to us now. And that far more than any man's words, that Your Holy Spirit would make plain to every heart in the room the love of Jesus. Oh God, would You make us know Your love for us. That we would see that demonstrated in what Jesus did for us on the cross. That He laid down His life for our sins. Your Word tells us that He was crucified on that cross. Dead, buried. But Father, we also know according to Your Word that He he rose from the grave three days later. Victorious over that sin that He had paid the price for. Victorious over death that thought it could hold Him in the grave. And that our Savior, Jesus Christ, lives. And not only lives, but now He lives to make intercession for those He loves. Father, I pray that we would worship You. That we would rest in Your love. And that we would love one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.